Hello, and welcome back to the Economic Review. Today, we're going to be talking about the housing crisis in California. Affordable housing in California has been an issue for decades. It's a beautiful state with a lot of amenities to offer. Naturally, there are a significant amount of people who would like to call it home. But house prices in California are among the highest in the nation. According to a review of median listing prices in all 50 states by Business Insider, California is in third place, with a median listing price of $549,000. The two places that beat out California in price were Hawaii and Washington, D.C. It's easy to see why housing in these two places is so expensive. They're very small, with very, very little room to build new construction to meet growing demand. California, however, is the third largest state in the nation. There should be plenty of room for new, affordable housing. Yet, according to the Public Policy Institute statewide survey, 47% of Californians, including 61% of renters, say housing costs are a financial strain on themselves and their families. Let's look at how we got here. California has steadily increased in population growth from 1900. According to the Department of Finance, California's population was just over 20 million in 1981. In 2021, it sits at nearly 40 million. In the span of four decades, the state's population has almost doubled. Compared to other states in the United States, this is akin to skyrocketing. Whilst other states could build new housing as population slowly increased, California never received the same luxury. Some may try to argue that California shrank in population in 2020. That is true, but the decline of around 180,000 people that year is not remarkable. It's simply a sign of a pandemic. Roughly 51,000 Californians died of COVID-19. Travel restrictions and fear of contagion dramatically tamped down the arrivals from abroad, the primary source of the state's population growth over the past decade. While housing prices have steadily inched up along with the population in the Golden State, wages have not. It was only with the passage of SB3 in 2017 that we began to see a slow increase in California's minimum wage. As of 2021, the minimum wage is at $13 an hour for employers with less than 26 employees and $14 an hour for those with more than 20 employees. Concurrently, Californian homeowners pay median monthly housing costs that are 50% higher than the rest of the nation. Yet California's median household income is only 22% higher than the nationwide median. An obvious solution seems to be the construction of new, affordable properties, duplexes, multifamily units, and smaller single-family homes. But until just this year, in the passage of two new housing bills, there was little movement possible in such construction, thanks to stiff regulations. In the 1950s, developers of Lakewood, California, invented a new municipal technology to avoid the fate that often befell idyllic suburbs when they grew too large. Lakewood contracted vital municipal services, like police, fire, and sanitation, to the county or private entities. By doing so, the 17,500 home subdivision could incorporate as a city with a significantly lower population than it would have otherwise needed. This cunning maneuver prevented the neighboring bigger city, Long Beach, from loosening its borders and swallowing Lakewood up through annexation. According to Benjamin Schneider, cop copycat contract cities became hugely popular in the ensuing decades, forming concentric circles around old urban centers and providing suburban homeowners with the solace that safely within their incorporated entities, they would be protected from what might euphemistically be called big city ills. 
These contract cities have played an enormous role in exacerbating housing problems in crowded, desirable areas like coastal California. Economics reporter Connor Dirty posits one of the main reasons it worked was that these cities effectively opted out of paying for expensive social services by zoning out poorer people. So while these sleepy suburban centers may not have homeless populations or residents at risk of eviction, those problems have just been pushed outside of the town's borders. Proposition 13, passed in 1978, was another factor in creating California's towering housing crisis. The ballot initiative capped property taxes, meaning that new housing could cost cities more in services than it would bring in through taxes. In response, cities focused more on more lucrative commercial development, setting the stage for severe jobs housing imbalance. Neighborhoods that offered good-paying jobs didn't have housing for those employees. Les Picker of the National Bureau of Economic Research points out that this move caused, quote, obvious distortions in the real estate marketplace. For example, in 2003, financier Warren Buffett announced that he pays property taxes of about $14,000, or 2.9%, on his half-a-million-dollar home in Omaha, Nebraska, but only pays $2,200, or 0.056%, on his $4,000,000 home in California. Meanwhile, during the 2008 foreclosure crisis, giant private equity firms snapped up thousands of homes, creating a new category of renter households living month-to-month under laws from the 80s and 90s that severely limited rent control and expanded landlord's power to evict tenants. Today, the results of these historical moves are on full display in California. According to the United States Interagency Council on Homelessness, as of January 2020, California had an estimated 161,548 people experiencing homelessness on any given day. California has far and away the largest homeless population in the entire country, nearly double that of the second largest state, New York. California has been underbuilt for years, roped in by contract cities and tax laws that made new home construction a wealthy-only luxury. Beacon Economics estimated the backlog of new homes at about 2.3 million housing units in 2017. PPIC's 2020 housing report reveals that just to keep pace with its growing population, California needs an average of 180,000 new homes every year, according to state housing officials. However, today, the statewide numbers are moving in the wrong direction. Only 104,000 residential permits were issued in 2018, and about 95,000 are projected for 2019. With the, passages, with the passage of two new pieces of legislation, California lawmakers are hoping to increase the number of new housing units being built and alleviate the pressure of the current housing crisis. California's SB9 allows people who own single-family homes to add a second unit on their property by constructing a new building or turning an existing house into a duplex. In addition, they can split a lot into two, with two units permitted on the second lot. This change means that in an area where housing is in greater demand, a parcel that previously only housed one family could now accommodate four. There are exceptions for historic districts and fire-prone areas, but the new construction would be exempt from challenges under the California Environmental Quality Act. Also, the property owner would have to live in one of the units for at least three years after the project was complete. That little caveat may prove that this change in the not in the law, a non-starter with areas rife with not-in-my-backyard supporters who want to keep low-income housing out of their neighborhoods at all costs. If they're opposed to it happening in their community, I don't see them rolling in the heavy machinery to make it happen on their own lots. 
Still, the Turner Center for Housing Innovation at the University of California in Berkeley estimates that about 700,000 new homes would become economically feasible under the law's provisions, including an additional 126,000 in Los Angeles County alone. From a real estate investment standpoint, SB9 provides appeal because a $1.5 million teardown project could result in four $1 million homes to be sold instead of one $3.5 million home. A million dollars still isn't cheap, but it's much more accessible than multi-million dollar mansions in the same neighborhoods. SB9 also aims to legalize small-scale projects driven by existing homeowners' interests. Homeowners could divide their lots to enable the construction of a dwelling for their children or convert big homes into duplexes to earn income from renters. Some people are worried about how this will affect neighborhoods despite the expansion of property owners' rights. I cannot begin to tell you how thrilled I am at the possibility of having at least two new units on either side of my SoCal house's backyard, filled with people who otherwise wouldn't have lived in my community, wrote Santa Clarita Valley resident Gwendolyn Sims sarcastically. On the other hand, there are some who are flexing their political power with the passage of SB9. What started as a hard scrabble group of activists in San Francisco has grown into a powerful movement led by San Francisco State Senator Scott Weiner. Housing group advocates were surprised at SB9's large margin passage with bipartisan support. The Save the Suburb voters who argue that the building of lower-income units in high-priced neighborhoods will drive home prices down will likely use all the local zoning regulations they can to maintain their grip on single-family-only land. California's SB10, sponsored by California YIMBY and authored by Senator Weiner, will go into effect on January 1st, 2022. SB10 makes it easier for cities to zone for smaller, low-cost housing developments of up to 10 units. It also has provisions to allow for the construction of up to four accessory dwelling units, also known as ADUs or granny flats. Current laws prevent local governments from zoning for these types of construction projects, leaving them mired in years of legal appeals and litigation. The new law provides tools for local government to zone up zone for up to 10 homes per parcel in transit-rich areas or urban infill sites. But this law comes with significant limitations. It does not apply in a very high fire severity zone, nor would it apply to parcels in open space, park, or recreational lands approved by voters. The approval of actual projects that conform to the newly adopted zoning may still be subject to CEQA. Opponents of the new law argue that SB 10 will allow ADUs to be assessed as dwellings on an arbitrary basis, meaning in some areas a lot that was previously held as a single-family home could be host to up to 14 new housing units. Some may argue that SB9 and SB10 will negatively affect their property values, but research doesn't support this hypothesis. May Nguyen of San Francisco State University revealed 17 studies produced over several decades. According to her 2005 analysis, 11 studies found that affordable housing either had a neutral or positive effect on property values. Five found mixed effects and one documented negative impact. Other reviews of the topic have yielded similar results. Effects of affordable housing are generally positive or neutral, with minimal instances of negative impact. However, it is essential to point out that affordable housing varies widely in its construction style, its maintenance, and its tenants, as do the neighborhoods in which they are built, and those factors are difficult to analyze. Ingrid Ellen, co-director of the Furman Center and associate professor of public policy and urban planning at the Wagner School of New York University, acknowledges this difficulty, stating that, quote, you can't completely generalize. For example, it's hard to compare a greenfields development with an infill development. 
Often in existing communities, housing replaces abandoned buildings or vacant lots, or they're renovating buildings, which brings stability to the neighborhood. That is not the case in areas like coastal California suburbs. Multi-million dollar mansions are not sitting cheek to jowl with litter-covered vacant lots, so accepting that a 14-family construction project will fare as better for your property value than another mansion is hard to stomach. SB 9 and 10 may bring needed relief to crowded California, but time will tell if it will be enough. Some Californians aren't waiting around to find out. California-bred realtor started a relocation website, ExitCalifornia.org, in 2019, and says now the site is so busy he doesn't even have to pay for online ads. He says he's witnessed an exodus of Californians who are fed up with the cost of high housing and high tax rates. Homeowners can sell their mortgage-heavy California homes and snap up property in less expensive states for cash. Millennials see an opportunity to purchase their first homes where none exists in California. And remote work growth caused by COVID-19 leaves little incentive for residents to continue to live in high-cost areas close to their company. Stanford professor Mark Duggan says the state needs to make big decisions about generating revenue and thinks politicians should reconsider the residential property tax cap of Proposition 13. I worry a lot if we're complacent, Duggan said. We've been able to get away with not great policies because of the amenities. California may still be the land of milk and honey for its wealthiest residents who don't have to worry about their housing costs and who don't have to pick a side in the debate. They're safe behind their deed-restricted gates. But for the millions of low- and middle-income Californians who are waiting earnestly to see if the state can tackle the housing crisis, the effectiveness of SB 9 and 10 are potential deal-breakers. It remains to be seen if they will tough it out in return for the amenities of SoCal, or start a new housing crisis in other states by fleeing en masse. To all future homeowners in California and elsewhere, I advise you to remember the age-old maxim from Robert Frost, good fences make good neighbors. Thank you so much for listening to the Economic Review. As always, we'll be back soon with the latest.